Hi, I'm Chinny. And I'm Astrid, and welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that widens access to African history. We're also the co-authors of a book by the same name. You can find out more information about us on itsacontinent.com. We're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country by appreciating the identity of each nation. Through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of It's a Continent. Today, we are continuing with the topic of migration. Now, this has been a key point of discussion over the last few months, and particularly after watching the documentary No U-Turn, we wanted to have a conversation with Ike Naibwe, the director himself. So Ike is a Nigerian filmmaker and a cultural entrepreneur, and in the documentary No U-Turn, he retraces his personal migration journey from Lagos, Nigeria, to Tangier, Morocco, following the routes he took when he had ambitions of leaving Nigeria for Europe. So thank you so much for joining us. Okay, we've, we've been on the bucket list for us. So thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Chini. Thank you, Astrid, for having me. Brilliant. So let's just start from the beginning of your story. Why did you decide to tell your migration story and how did it feel retracing the steps that you took as an 18-year-old? So um, when, when I was going through the experience the first time, I, I already knew that I would love to tell this story to as many people as possible. You know, that type of experience where you're going through, you just know that this is just an incredible story, even if you had mm-hmm. one, even if you're one of the major characters. <laughs> But you recognize quickly that this is a story that needs to be told. You know, um, first of all, major reason why I felt the story needed to be told was that I needed, I felt like I needed more people to learn about the dangers, you know, on that road. Uh, that mm-hmm. it's not as 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 simple as they made it look before I left Nigeria. And of course, I met a lot of people on the road who also didn't know that it was such a dangerous and very um, difficult journey to make, you know. Mm. So I felt that sense of responsibility to sort of help people learn so that less people would be tricked into going into that because a lot of people actually do not leave to tell the story you know they do they don't need to tell their stories so i felt that you know sense of responsibility to tell the story uh and then of course it was also during that journey that i actually um stumbled into filmmaking um and and it, it just made more sense to me that okay even as a filmmaker I just have to tell this story, you know, but I I didn't get the opportunity to tell the story until, you know, um, 26 years later, you know, so going back to tell the story was, it was, you know, like a lifetime, um, a fulfillment of a life, a lifetime dream, you know, it was, it was quite, um, yeah, it was, it was one of those moments where you're like, Finally, you know, I'm I'm able to do this one thing that I've been wanting to do for 
for 26 years, that's a very yeah. long time to carry a vision and to carry a dream, you know. Mm. So for me, it was like a dream come true, just being able to go back on that journey and to, you know, speak to other people who are now going on the journey and sort of tell my story through their own stories. And, you know, so, yeah, it was quite an, an amazing experience going back. Yeah, and I think just watching it, the way in which you weave in different people and their stories and actually the process and the characters that we meet and the yeah. challenges that they're facing, it's done so beautifully. And I think it's a side that, from our perspective, we don't get to see someone's full story. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was, Chinny and I both, you know, really enjoyed the way in which you told those stories. And throughout the film, I think two themes that we felt came across quite a lot was around the idea of hope and shame. So, you know, the hope of getting to Europe, but also there was a strong sense of in terms of shame of having to return home if you weren't mm -hmm. successful. And as a result, you saw a lot of um, the people that you meet were very much sort of stuck in their journey. How yeah. did the concept of, if we start off with hope, play a role in your motivations to embark on the journey yourself to Europe? Well, so it is funny because um, at the point where I made that decision to make that journey um, 26 years ago was at a state of hopelessness. Like I was at a state where I was completely hopeless, you know. Um, so I had finished my seven years um, apprenticeship, you know, um, and by the, by, the, by the customs of the Igbo apprenticeship system, it was time for me to be given my own capital, startup capital, so that I could start my own business, my own trading business. But that didn't happen you know it's uh, was one of the the bad cases and there i was um i was actually 19 going 20 you know um and no hope of starting my own business nothing like i was just in this place where i just didn't know what to do next you know and the entire reason why i even you know um joined the apprenticeship system at 13 was because, you know, instead of continuing to secondary school, like with my friends and stuff, was because I needed to quickly, you know, establish myself, start earning money so I could go back and help my 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 mother, you know, and my siblings. Um, so for me, it was like, I just wasted seven years. I didn't, couldn't achieve what, you know, was the reason for it and didn't go to secondary school. And now here I was just completely stranded. You know, um, I think that's just the right word. I was really stranded. I, I, you know, so when the I when this the, the idea this the, someone says that it is possible to travel to Europe without visa and with very little money, you know, and it will just take seven days, you know, if you just follow this map and go from this country to that country, 
it, it sounded like, you know, like, it was like hope, you know, arising, you know, it was so much, for me, it was like a new, a new, something hopeful. It was, it was, it was like a miracle, so to speak. It was like, okay, because already before then, I'd already known that, I know, I'd known a few people who were living in Europe, you know, who were sending cars home, who were mm -hmm. building houses, you know. And it's such a simple narrative as well, isn't it? Like you said, seven mm -hmm. days follow this and you're in Europe. It doesn't, <laughs> no, it doesn't no share caveats, the... no like danger, warnings. <laughs> no, yeah. What are no, the risks? So, yeah. Very simple. It sounded so simple. So, mm -hmm. like, you know, it, it wasn't, there was nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be scared about. It was a simple, mm -hmm seven days journey across these borders and you find yourself in Las Palmas and you know and there's always work in the plantations and and so I was a young person who really wanted to work who wanted to earn and I hear there's a certain place where there's work and where I can earn well and all I needed to do was just follow like a map and in seven days time I'll be there I mean it was just like it was the best yeah. news, <laughs> you know. Especially had, at that age, yeah. Especially at that age. Mind you, I had never left Nigeria at this point. I didn't even know what it meant to be outside your own country. You oh, know. wow. So you'd never <laughs> left and you were like, <laughs> I'm going to this sort of like far away land. It's, it's quite interesting, really, because especially as you mentioned around having not even left like the borders of, of Nigeria um, at that age, what were your perceptions and, and aspirations, your thoughts of Europe at that time? How did the people that you encountered echo those sentiments and how did you think Europe would be like? Yeah. So at that time I, I thought that Europe was this really like nice place, you know, it was like beach, you know, with white sands and <laughs> And, and people are very rich, you know. Um, there was even a story about a young Nigerian who um, picked up a, a box of money from the beach in Spain, you know. So it was, for me, it was that type of place where things were easier than I had been used to, um, where most importantly, if you wanted to work, you would be able to work and earn a lot of money, you know. And I had been brought up to basically not be afraid of work, you know, to appreciate hard work and stuff. So for me, it was like <laughs> no biggie, you know, if it's just to work, you know, I was just ready to work as, as much as, it, you know, it took. So for me, Europe was like, it was like a place of dreams, you know. It was like the place of, uh, 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 like opportunities and stuff like that. I had never imagined that there were, for instance, eventually when I finally went to Paris, I was so shocked to see a lot of homeless people on the streets of Paris. And I was like, so, and but it wasn't so difficult for me to now understand because before then I had even been to America and all that. So I had, just basically seeing that like there's no place where it is actually easy you know it's like 
you know, people have the same existential um, challenges everywhere, you know. So, but but at that time, I, I didn't think like that. I thought that suffering was just something that was Nigerian and that Europe had no idea, you know, on any concept of what suffering is about. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because I think as we kind of as you watch the film, I think two people that you encounter in your journey are two women who are in um, Burkina Faso who have been there for quite some time. I know you mentioned, you know, the dream is sold of, yes, you leave, it's seven days, you arrive in Europe. But for those where the journey is longer and you do end up having to sort of build a life in another kind of African nation, what are some of the coping strategies did you see the people you encounter kind of employ in order to cope with the uncertainties and also setbacks of making it to Europe? I, I think that, yeah, I think that one of the things that I noticed the most with almost everyone that I spoke with, especially the ones that are kind of like had to settle in a place for a while to try to raise money and gather themselves again to continue the trip was a lot of determination. You know, there was just it, it was just very clear that this person was very determined, you know, um to get to their destination. They are not going to um be discouraged by the fact that the other woman had spent over 10 years in Burkina Faso and then I'm talking with her and she's telling me that she's just giving herself one year in Burkina Faso that after one year she has to move and she must get to Morocco and she must get to her destination and that it doesn't matter even if she doesn't get to Europe but she would rather continue to try um, she says, I might get there or I might not get there, but, you know, um, there is nothing gained without risk. And when she said that, it was it was quite, I, I understood it like in, like in several levels, at several levels. I understood it to mean that, okay, I mean, um, I, it's, I know it's a risk, but I'm willing to, to, to take that risk. I might fail or I might succeed. Okay, that's fine. That's normal with, you know, most things. It's, but then at another layer, it's almost kind of um, suicidal. You know, it's like, well, I, I, I may make it alive or I may not make it alive, but I just have to keep trying. And... It brought to memory another another conversation I had with another migrant who I was like, but do you you know that this trip is very dangerous and you know about all the dangers of the things that could happen between Mauritania and Morocco, between Niger and Libya and all these crazy places. And he said to me, yeah, that he's aware. I'm like, so why do you want to continue? He said to me that he would rather die in the desert than die in Nigeria. And wow. Yeah, it was it, it, it that thing traumatized me for a very long time because 
this is someone who is completely hopeless about what life has for him in Nigeria. And he literally said to me that going back to Nigeria means going back to go and die. And he would never do that. He would rather keep moving forward and whatever happens, happens. If he makes it, well, he makes it. If he doesn't make it, then that's fine. For him, that's better than going back mm. to Nigeria. Sounds really traumatic. The determination and also that optimism that just keeps them, that fuels that determination in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look at the other woman who ended up in a marriage that, you know, four children and the man left her. And she's telling me that she would continue to pursue her dream of getting to Europe, that the four children are not set back. Instead, they are providing inspiration for her. And I was like, that level of determination. And it's interesting that it's not, like you said, the two women you encounter in Burkina Faso, it's not considered, you know, you've been there for 10 years, it's not considered being in like a limbo. It is still... I am still on that quest. I am still working towards that goal. How do you feel about how shame came across with, with these people, um, the migrants, and also with your journey? It's like another key feeling that comes across from those that you've encountered. And did you see shame also, in a sense, keeping that, you know, I don't want to go back home? And also with you deciding to return back home eventually, did you navigate any feelings of shame because... You know, having not realized that aspiration or did you see that in other people that you encountered and, and did you feel that yourself to some extent yeah I mean shame um has always been a constant factor you know with migration um you know shame of returning without having achieved the reason why you left um in our communities as Africans we sort of tend to um, be in each other's business a lot, you know. Um, it's not a bad thing, but of course, every good thing has a bad side to it. Um, that communal living meant that as I left, news had spread within the community that, oh, EK has traveled to Europe, you know, blah, blah, blah. And everybody knew what that meant, meant you know, you, you've succeeded, sort of. Um, the next thing everybody's mm -hmm. expecting is for you to start sending cars, start sending money, start turning, changing your yeah. family house, you know, like buy a car for your mother, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then you find yourself in a situation where you're not even anything close to that. In fact, you're not even close to Europe yet. And you cannot just turn around and go back and say, hey, I failed, you know. Um, it's not like anybody is going to arrest you or anything like that. But, you know, that stigmatization, um, it's something that most people are not able to deal with. And especially even if I want to talk about myself as a young person, 20 years of age, it was something I could not even comprehend how to deal with. So I knew immediately that even though I decided I wasn't going to continue, when we got to Pamaku, I also knew immediately that I wasn't going to go back, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> yeah. so it was sort of like a crazy situation. Um, one of the most darkest nights of my life till today, um, was that moment where I realized that I couldn't continue. 
but also I realized that I couldn't go back, you know. So when we when we finally eventually um I settled in Gambia and spent two years in Gambia. When it was time to go back, what helped me the most was that I now had a dream. I had a dream that was very strong, that was so strong that it kind of like overshadowed whatever level of shame, whatever stigmatization that was waiting for me. That dream was so strong that I sort of made all these things fade into the background. And I was... I was able to just go back and not care about what anybody, you know, had to say or what anybody, you know, was going to do, you know. So, and for me, that was like a major break in my life, I would say, because from that moment on, I stopped caring about what people think of me, what people say. I, it was in that from looking back, I actually realized that that was the moment where I kind of developed my tunnel vision style, where I just completely focus on what I want to achieve and not even thinking about whether I will fail and if I fail, what would people say or not. I, I don't care anymore because it's like those this big demon and I finally faced it face to face and survived mm. it. And I realized that this was just a boogeyman, like this really nothing there to 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 harm anybody it's just these things that we make up in our head and we think that oh people will say this and people will say that and at the end of the day maybe the people are even too busy trying to figure out their own lives that's that... true yes. <laughs> yeah. it's interesting that i think both hope keeps people in limbo but then also shame leaves them in limbo at the same time so mm -hmm. you're sort of like, I'm hopeful that I will get there eventually, however long it'll take, I will arrive in Europe. But also the shame of going back leaves you stuck in wherever you are. And so you're sort of like, but I do agree with them. That it's, I think, great that you were able through your journey, actually realized, you know what, I can't care what other people are thinking. They may not, as you're right, they may not also be thinking that exactly. And they're focusing on their own lives that I've just got to... Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go back you know I'm gonna go back so yeah um that's amazing I think one of the gonna pivot a little bit um one of the things that we found quite interesting as well in the film is around women and their representation so us being in the UK especially the British press a lot of the stories that we get through the newspapers is very much around majority of young men coming through into the country, but we almost never see women. And I think what you do really well is also represent women. And, you know, although they make up a small percentage of the total kind of population, it was interesting that you also shared their story. You mentioned kind of during uh, the film that there weren't many women crossing borders, but what could be the factors behind this that we're now sort of seeing, you know, in your journey, we were seeing a lot more women kind of coming through. Do you have a sense as why that is? Yeah, I mean, the the increase of women uh, on that road, it's basically an indication of the um, rapidly changing um, gender roles in Africa, you know. Um, so... And of course, it goes back to 
the fact that the economies are getting more difficult for people, you know. So traditionally, women never really had to kind of like go far, you know, in terms of trying to support the family and all that. I mean, traditionally, African women have always been... um, very contrib- contributory, very supportive of the family in many ways, you know, but it was always like just within the community, you know. But these days we find a lot of women um, stepping like out of the community and, you know, getting on dangerous journeys like this because gender roles are constantly changing. So we find a lot of um, women being breadwinners for their families and and stuff like that. So it puts a lot of burden on on women, and of course pushes them to uh, venture, you know, into um, some of these um, risky adventures. I would even call it. So yeah, that's for me. I think that's that's one of the things that comes clear to me. Like more and more women are being forced to cater for themselves and for their families, and that that's that's why you see a lot of women um, braving that kind of journey. There were some quite at times quite uncomfortable viewing actually of of some of the women and their stories within their journeys. How would you say the experience for women differs between them and and men within? the paths that they've taken? I think that, I mean, to be honest, naturally when, you know, you think about the difficulties that migrants face, you know, on that route, and you think about women, first thing that comes to your mind is sexual exploitation, you know? Um, so, like, when these Tuaregs or these kidnappers and stuff, when, when they catch migrants you know mostly they take money from everyone and all that but for the women most times they proceed to rape them and sexually assault you know these women and for me i feel like that's just like the most terrible situation a woman can find herself in um to be honest if i have to if i have powers to say no woman should pass through that type of experience i would definitely do it because i I feel like if someone steals your money you know whatever you know it's fine somehow if you are able to eventually find a way to survive and get out of there and stuff you probably find another money whatever but if someone like gets raped maybe even like consecutively on that route. And I just wonder what their life would be like after that experience. You know, what kind of damage would it have on them mentally? And how would that affect their view of life afterwards? You know? Yeah, no, definitely. And it's such a such a difficult journey and so complex and then to layer on some like those sort of challenges as you go through it and the risks um involved um in such a journey as well i think is so important to highlight because it is so complex and it is so challenging and i think you capture that 
really well kind of as you shared the different stories i think it was uh, yeah and it's very important to bring that to the fore as we approach a sort of conclusion of the film there's a really beautiful kind of um quote that you kind of say is around how europe represents a life dream a dream that goes beyond a geographical location linking that back to this idea of hope and how europe is no longer really a destination it's now an idea how can we establish and sustain conditions within Africa itself and really and African nations to enable individuals to really dream of and aspire for a more comfortable life in a continent that is very much, you know, abundant with resources where Europe as a concept is not just there, but they actually can realise those dreams within African nations. How do you think we can establish that and sustain that? Is that possible? I think it's very possible. Um, but I don't know if um if we're ready for that conversation, to be honest. I was in a conversation yesterday, DW, you know, and they had like um two members of European Parliament on that panel and we were talking about migration and you know stuff like this. And what I said to them was that a lot of times when we talk about migration, we just focus on migration as if migration is actually the problem migration is actually not the problem migration is just a symptom of the problem and it's either we are not interested in actually tackling the problem and we just want to continue to play around the symptoms and look like we're doing anything but we're not because at the end of the day the crisis of migration is getting worse for everyone for europe for africa for america wherever and the root cause of the problem is inequality. Um, there's so much inequality in the world that it is <laughs> it's crazy. So because there's this imbalance, inequality, always gravitate towards wherever they feel that there are better opportunities. That's just how the humankind is designed. We're not trees, right? So the fact that we can move means that if we are in a place and we feel like we're not getting nourished, we're not getting fed the way we should, and we hear that there's a, another place where, you know, it's better, we would try as much as possible to go over there, even if we die trying. If we're ready to have the conversation about equality, we need to start to talk about um, the extraction of natural resources from Africa. Um, how we're doing it, what kind, what European policies? They, we need to look at it very clearly again. Um, for instance, uh, Ghana and Cordova produce over eighty percent of the world's cocoa, but they don't. The two countries combined together do not even have up to one percent of the market share. And we're talking about billions of dollars in cocoa trading and all the other products. And it's just recently that Ghana is even trying to encourage chocolate factories. Can you imagine? All the chocolates we eat in Africa is from Switzerland. And Switzerland do not grow one single cocoa tree. But they have the biggest market share for cocoa in the world. But at the end of the day, these African farmers still have to grow this cocoa year in, year out. And because they're not getting anything tangible from it, they have children that need to go to school. They have hospital bills to deal with and all of these things. So at the end of the day, this poverty pushes their younger ones 
to the cities to go and look for alternative ways of surviving. And then, of course, from the cities, they hear about Europe and, you know, they would want to come to Europe. I said to them, nobody really wakes up and says, I'm tired of my community. I want to leave the familia. I want to live where I have all the support. Especially if you're an African, you know, you're growing up in a communal environment where you get all the support that you need. Normally, you don't want to leave. But if you're there and you feel like you don't, there's no future for you there, and you watch your father and your mother literally stress every day to be able to put food on the table, and you don't want that type of life for yourself. So you start to wonder what can I do different you know where else can I mm. go to have a better life I don't how can I change that narrative yeah. exactly how can I change that narrative and then of course it leads you to the concept of oh there's a place called Europe and life is easier blah 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 you know so at the end of the day we need to be honest about these conversations and to be serious and you know mm. like Europe they, they say they're having migration crisis. I see a lot of conversations around it, but I haven't seen a conversation saying what is actually the real cause of this thing. You know, they say, oh, African leaders need to do better. How would African leaders do better when Europe is literally extracting everything? Why can't Europe say, okay, maybe their new policies would be don't take raw materials beyond certain percentage. You know, if you need chocolates in Europe? Why don't you produce chocolates in Cordova, for instance? Why don't you support Cordova factories to produce chocolate and export to Switzerland? You know what I mean? Genuine development. Yeah, genuine development. Do that and tell me if you would have migration crisis again. Nobody wants to go and cross the Mediterranean Sea and risk dying if they're a bit comfortable from where they are. People are able to do that because just like that Nigerian man that told me that he would rather die on the road than go back to Nigeria. I mean, you're growing up in a country where people finish university, they have their degrees, and the best thing they can dream of is to be able to buy a Toyota Corolla or get somebody that buys a Toyota Corolla for them so they can start driving Uber. I mean, do you understand? And do you know what it means, what it would take for you to even find someone who will be able to invest Mm. in you to buy you a Toyota Corolla? And yeah. for you to start driving Uber. So this is even like the top 1% of the people. The rest don't know what to do. And then you, you say they shouldn't try to cross to a place where they feel like life will be better for them. I mean, you know? It's, it's almost like yeah. how dare Europe have that kind of stance. Exactly. Like, you know, exactly. It's... Exactly. It's like a British person saying, but why can't these people stay in their own country? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. If, British, if British people stayed in their own country, we would, would not have colonization would not be having this conversation right now. Because you go to a people and you tell them their God is, is evil, their way of life is barbaric, and, and they have to dress like Europeans and eat like Europeans. And, you, and then you turn around and wonder why they want to come to Europe. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's like when the, the colonial sort of mission comes back to bite, because, I mean, that was what they did, right? And then exactly. they're kind of thinking, why... <laughs> Why do you want to be like us? You know exactly. You told us to be like you. You told us that's the best way to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that quote, isn't it? We're here because you were there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly. And it's like we never around comes around. (laughs) Yeah, a a reckoning with the history really is needed to inform these policies. You know, and it's just very, very reactive, very defensive, Mm -hmm. racist, 
um, instead of actually mm-hmm. understanding why is it that people, you know, what is our history? What is our involvement here that is making people want to? <laughs> exactly. But I think that's even more challenging because I think from a history perspective here, I think just that frank and honest conversation and open admission of what countries like Britain did is so <laughs> difficult to kind of get them to yeah. accept. Do you see what I, I mean? I Even just why. that is so difficult that like, <laughs> having a discussion on inequality and actually the real reasons why people make these journeys, um, yeah, is um, yeah, is a challenge, is a challenge. Yeah, and then the France issue. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that these West African countries are still paying tax to France, what they call colonial tax. And mm-hmm. and how do you expect these countries to develop? And how do you expect their young people to find work and stay in their countries when the entire economy goes back to France every year? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Honestly, it's complete a complete rethink and complete overhaul is, is definitely needed. Definitely. I wanted to also just kind of close on such reflective uh, question as well. You know, when you undertook this journey, what would 18-year-old Ike think of this decision that you've now made to ultimately stay, but also build a good life for yourself in Nigeria? What would he think of that decision that you made uh, back then? I think I think he would be very proud of, of, mm. of himself um, and of me. I, I, I think that you know how they say um i would if i have to change a thing i would not um remove the pain because the pain has made me who i am it's just the the phrase that comes to mind because mm-hmm. i feel like the the person that i have become and that i'm continuing to become today it's something that i owe to that 18 year old uh, well I actually was like I said, I was 19 going 20 when I left Nigeria. So I would say my 20-year-old self, I would say very thank you to him for mm. for the sets of decisions that he made. First of all, thank him very much for not for realizing how dangerous the trip was in Bamako and for deciding not to continue because if he had continued... I don't know what would have happened. I mean, so to be honest, best case scenario, he would have made it to Europe. Mm. And I don't know what his life would have been like, you know. Um, but I love what my life is today. So I'm thankful that he made that decision. And yeah, that's I guess that's it. I'm thankful for, for those decisions that he made. Um, and, and I'm thankful that he, he made that strong decision to to follow his passion because like from from even like from elementary school i'd fallen in love with storytelling you know so him finding that opportunity in gambia to go into film and media production and just making that decision and sticking with it it's something that i'm very thankful for really oh that's amazing and thank you so much for sharing that's honestly we're so so grateful to be having this discussion with you and just for providing us a bit more insight behind the film and the people you encountered throughout that journey thank you so much 
tell us a bit more what you're working on. How can our wonderful listeners, you know, kind of access the film? Is there anything that you want to share that you're currently working on? Any projects? So we are, yes, you, this is your platform. Feel free, please plug. plug. <laughs> this is, this is the... Please plug, please plug away. <laughs> so first and foremost, um, it's best to follow me on LinkedIn with my names, Ike Nebwe, um, or on Instagram at Ike Nebwe. I'm also quite active on Facebook with the same name. Um, the film can be seen at the DW YouTube channel. Um it's done over one million views like in just a few months well yeah it's just yeah. we'll make sure to include oh, yes. the link on the uh episode show notes as well yeah <laughs> yeah 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 and the conversations are just amazing in terms of the comments and all that there um yeah and then i just um i was telling chini that i had just finished the production um is a fiction film production where I actually played a double role of the director and um, the lead actor. And I'm just looking forward to, you know, going into post-production now, after Christmas, you know, and then to see, you know, how the film turns out. But um, yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. Brilliant. No, this is all very, very exciting. Um, but yeah, we'll be sure to put the uh, to put the film in, in our episode show notes yes, as well. Yes, that would be awesome. Um, <laughs> thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, and yeah, we can't wait to share this yeah, episode. Yeah, we honestly can. So, so excited. To... <laughs> we're like, we're, we need to push this further up yeah, our timeline. Yeah, we do, we do. Oh, we can't wait. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. It's been a beautiful evening just hanging out with you girls and just just thank you so much. <laughs>